The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, I have to confess I've been looking forward to this show for a long time. Uh, the last time these two wonderful doctors were on the show, I spent an absolutely fascinating hour with them talking about how to differentiate hype from fact when we hear about the, the, the latest startling uh, health miracle and uh, things that we can do to live better, live longer, which happens to be the title of their new book. I want to welcome back to the show the writing team of Dr. Sanjeev Chopra and Dr. Alan Lotvin. A little bit about them. Uh, Dr. Sanjeev Chopra is Professor of Medicine and Faculty Dean for Continuing Medical Education at Harvard Medical School and Senior Consultant in Hepatology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. Dr. Chopra has more than 120 publications and five books to his credit. He is Editor-in-Chief of the Hepatology section of Up to Date, the most widely used electronic textbook in the world, subscribed to by an estimated 450,000 physicians worldwide. And he just told me as we're getting ready for the show that he has a couple more books up his sleeve, and we're excited about that. So thanks for joining us again, Dr. Chopra. Delighted to be on the show, Kim. And we are also joined uh, by our very own Dr. Alan Lotvin. Dr. Lotvin is an interventional cardiologist by training. He holds graduate degrees from Columbia University and State University of New York Health Sciences Center at Brooklyn. He has held senior executive roles at Medco at Magellan Health Services and is currently launching a, an exciting new venture in advanced clinical management for health plans. Welcome back, Dr. Lotvin. Thank you, Kim. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so, gentlemen, we are uh, bombarded day in and day out with headlines about life-saving that, cancer-causing this, and then a week later all of the information is reversed because a new study has come out. In fact, just the other day I was at the, the, the pharmacy and I noticed one of, the, you know, one of those free magazines that they keep next to the register. Some of the headlines, cure your own pain, the new rules of pain relief, or uh, never have a heart attack, seven habits that slash risk, or another one which I could use maybe on some days, get instant energy. Um, it can be incredibly confusing. Nobody knows who to believe, and so we have you gentlemen here to set the record straight. Um, I'm going to start with you, uh, Dr. Chopra. Do you do you find that your patients are always asking uh, uh, about the latest uh, the latest study or information on the news? Are you sort of accosted at at, at cocktail parties and 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 uh, and, and dinner parties uh, around these questions? Is that sort of what inspired you to write this new book? You know, that's absolutely correct, uh, that every single day we're bombarded with uh, information and also lots of and tons of misinformation on TV, on radio, and magazines, and now people are putting it on their blog sites uh, about health-related issues. And uh, patients are always asking, their spouses uh, or their better half is asking, and uh, I'm accosted at cocktail parties at airports, as I'm sure <laughs> Alan is also, and ask the question the moment they find out you're a doctor, you know, you're checking in uh, in the hotel, and they may look at you and say, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. What kind of a doctor are you? And so I always okay. say, a good one. And then I laugh, and then I say, no, 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 I'm really a, a liver specialist. And they say, oh, liver disease. So I heard this is good for you. You need to have this cleansing 
and it will cleanse your liver. Or what do you think about coffee or tea or vitamins or milk thistle? So this happens all the time. And Alan and I were talking about it several years ago together with the writer who helped us write this book, David Fisher. And we said, you know, there's this ton of misinformation, information. It's almost like an obligation, Alan, for you and me to put together this book and set the record straight. It's also a way that where you can just maybe enjoy your cocktails at the cocktail parties and just yeah. hand, out, <laughs> hand out the book and say, look at page 293. That'll yeah. answer your question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Lavin, with over 400 pages, this book is truly uh, a comprehensive uh, piece. Uh, covers food, drink, vitamins, supplements, topics like yoga, meditation, drinking from water bottles, uh, using cell phones. How long did it take for you guys to, um, to put this book together and what inspired you as the other part of this writing team to, uh, to take on this endeavor? Well, I mean, I think this grew out of actually some, some really interesting um, research that was, we started off originally writing a book purely about cancer prevention, and that was kind of our initial thought. And as we started doing more and more of the primary research and talking to more and more physicians and more and more patients, we started realizing that as much and as important as a topic that was, it was equally important to talk about and answer some questions on lots of other topics, childhood vaccinations, for example, coffee, alcohol, that we're getting asked all the time. And we thought as long as we're, jo- as long as we're jumping in, we might as well jump in all the way. And, you know, it took us, I would say it took us a good two and a half to three years to do all the research, do all the writing, all the editing, talk to all the experts that we talked to because we, we, we interviewed, you know, 50, 70 people in the book. And I think at the end of the day, we, we, we walked away feeling really good, at, you know, having learned something ourselves, certainly, mm-hmm. and feeling really like we helped advance, you know, a little bit of the knowledge for the lay public to say, here's the current state of the state of, of the various topics that we looked at, and as importantly, here's how you think about these things going forward as new headlines hit the, uh, hit the newsstand. So how did you guys, um, how did you guys pick the topics, Dr. Lappin? I mean, is it, is it like, like, like me asking the questions? I'm standing in line at the supermarket, at the drugstore. I see this article. The news flashes on. The ticker on the, you know, on the news says this or that. I mean, how did you guys select the topics to cover? I think the first thing, you know, the, the process we actually worked through was we, we made a list of all the possible things we could think of that we had seen headlines on recently that people had asked us. Um, and we went from there into, a, into looking into what was the data, and was mm-hmm. there reasonably good data to either support or refute it, or were we simply going to say, who knows? And obviously, for most of the who knows, we, we, we eliminated it. Um, we only kept the who knows when we felt that the myth was that it was a decided fact when, in fact, it, when in reality it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So after we culled through that, then it really became down to where did we have an interesting to- story to tell and something to add to the, to the conversation in the world? And, of course, a little bit about what were we personally interested in because that always made it most, uh, most uh, easiest to, to uh, write. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, uh, Kim, um, yes. uh, when Alan and I and David were sitting down to make the list, we started off, I think, with a list of about 120 topics. Hmm. And then we whittled it down to 36 chapters or 38 chapters. And I would often uh, turn to my uh, own uh, faculty and colleagues at Harvard Medical School and pose them a question. And I'd say, look, I'm going to pretend I'm I'm a patient of yours. And if I were to ask you, uh, you know, I heard recently coffee is amazingly good for the liver. Uh, How would you respond to that? Hmm. And uh, to my astonishment... Uh, they would often say, uh, everything in moderation, these studies come and go. Mm-hmm. And you can't blame the primary care physician. I actually have the highest admiration for primary care physicians because they have to know enough about every single disease in order to shepherd their patients through those uh, disorders, often lifelong disorders, chronic conditions, and know when to refer and for Alan and me to be cardiologists and hepatologists, liver specialists, respectively, in a way it's easier. You sort of master the field and you know all the answers and questions. And for them, it's very difficult to do it. And we found, as we've talked about coffee, it's not only that the physicians are not aware. Of course, the lay public is not aware 
about the benefits. And uh, when I ask my patients, do they drink coffee, uh, the ones who drink coffee and drink a couple of cups uh, sound guilty. And they have this sort of guilty look on their face and, Doc, am I doing something wrong? But we also found recently in talking to some folks from the coffee industry that they seem not to know any of the health uh, advantages of drinking coffee, uh, which happens to protect against four different cancers uh, that we know about now. All right. Well, Dr. Shipra, we're we, we're quickly moving to our first break here, but... You brought the topic of coffee up, so let's go right there and let's uh, tantalize our audience a little bit. Let's uh, let's dig in on the coffee question. Are there health benefits to coffee? Yeah, so it's actually the amazing benefits. And when we wrote the book, uh, we talked about the benefits in protecting against liver disease and liver cancer. And it turns out that coffee drinkers have lower levels of liver enzymes. So if you have high levels of liver enzymes, a blood test, it's reflective of liver disease. They have less scarring in the liver. If there's tons of scarring, it distorts the liver architecture, and uh, that condition is called cirrhosis of the liver. And Then one can go into liver failure or develop cancer of the liver or need a liver transplant. So coffee drinkers have lower levels of liver enzymes. They have less scarring of the liver, less cirrhosis, less hospitalization from chronic liver disease, less mortality. And if they drink two cups of regular coffee a day, then there's a 40% reduction in developing primary cancer of the liver, which is now the fourth leading cause of cancer mortality in the world. One billion people in the world have chronic liver disease. Uh, Since we wrote the book, the three other studies have come out, not suggesting, but very conclusively showing that coffee drinkers have a lower risk of metastatic prostate cancer, Women have a lower risk of endometrial cancer, and both men and women have a lower risk of skin cancer, including melanoma. Coffee also seems to protect against type 2 diabetes and Parkinson's. And um, I often mention in my talks that none of these studies have been sponsored by Starbucks. So they're published in peer-reviewed journals. There seems to be a dose-dependent effect. The more you drink, the better off you are. There are mechanistic explanations. On the flip side, some people get horrible heartburn or irritable bowel syndrome and diarrhea. Mm -hmm. And some people get migraine headaches, although other people will tell us that when they drink coffee, it actually cures their migraine headache. headache, And then we're careful about not exceeding one cup of regular coffee during pregnancy. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. controversial, but most obstetricians will tell their patients uh, not to exceed one cup of regular coffee during pregnancy. And before we get to our break here, Dr. Shepard, does adding... Does adding milk to the coffee in any way impact the, what we know to be some of these health benefits? So, you know, the studies haven't teased that out. They mm-hmm. simply teased out whether it's regular coffee or decaf coffee. And for liver disease, it appears to be regular coffee. But for example, type 2 diabetes, it doesn't matter whether it's regular or decaf. And coffee has hundreds of constituents. So it's not the caffeine because we know that tea is not that protective. Mm. Coca-Cola is not that protective. Mm. So it's not the caffeine. It's many, many different constituents in coffee. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am joined uh, today by Dr. Sanjeev Chopra and Dr. Alan Lotvin. They have a new book out, Live Better, Live Longer. And uh, in this book, we can uh, learn about some of the myths uh, and facts and, and, uh, and information about some of the latest health information that we read in magazines, uh, that we see on television, that we see um, in the headlines. We have a, a lot of information uh, that we are going to cover um, on the show today. We're going to talk about some of the myths and facts of some of these different uh, different foods, different supplements, different, uh, different practices. We are going to um, uh, drill down specifically on the health effect of some of these items uh, on cancer, uh, when a person has cancer, in terms of some of the actions we can take to try to prevent or, or, or reduce our, uh, our risk of cancer. So we've got, um, we've got a great show in store for you today. Uh, frankly, speaking about cancer, talking about the new book, Live Better, Live Longer, by Dr. Sanjeev Chopra and Dr. Alan Lavin. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back.
be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking with Dr. Chopra and Dr. Lotvin about their new book titled Live Better, Live Longer, which is available in stores and online. Just a quick reminder to our listeners, anything you hear today shouldn't replace your medical treatment or medical care. If you have questions about something today, we encourage you to please contact uh, your physician uh, uh, about that. Dr. Lotvin, um, you know, many of our listeners are facing a cancer diagnosis, have a loved one who's facing a cancer diagnosis. They're looking for studies, they're looking for breakthroughs that might impact their treatment decisions or they're just their overall care, side effect management. Um, can you give our listeners a few quick tips to help them evaluate a study that they might hear about on the news or read about in the paper? So I think there's, there's two, there's, actually I would give two, two points of, of reference. So one, there's, there's uh, the way to evaluate studies that you hear about or headlines that you hear about, um, particularly when they, when they involve sort of non-traditional therapies, is you really have to look at it and say, what was the quality of the study? And I don't expect anyone to become a statistician overnight, but I think you want to look at questions like, where was it published? Was it published in one of the really leading journals, you know, the Lancet, the New England Journal of Medicine, um, the Journal of Clinical Oncology, these really well-known journals. And, and if you question whether there's a well-known journal or not, just you can Google it. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is, how big is, is the study? Um, you know, if it's five, ten people, does that really, that material, when you start to get into numbers, you know, and it varies by disease state, but hundreds or thousands, that starts to be really, really material. And then there's a little bit about, you know, study design, which can be a very technical topic, but in general, you know, you want to you study that is what's called randomized, meaning no one knows, you know, no, no one picks which patients get which therapy. Okay. And then something called double-blind, which means no one knows which patients are getting which therapy. Because not even the doctor. It, not even the doctor. Just any other way of doing it, there's always biases. We're hopeful. We, so you really, those are the gold standard sort of trials. They're very hard to do. They're very they're expensive. They take a long time. So those are hard to find. But that's the kind of the way we think about studies. Where was it published? Because 
that's a, a guideline for someone else doing all this work. Mm-hmm. How big was it? And then, you know, how was it designed? I would say the other thing in terms of, you know, evaluating a study you might hear about, it's not just published studies. A lot of people that I've met with cancer diagnosis have wanted to try you know, new therapies, especially people with advanced cancer. And there is a, a registry run by the, the NCI. Um, you can go to cancer.gov, and there's a search for, uh, you can search for type of, based on type of cancer, all of the clinical trials that are going on either in your area or nationally that are evaluating new therapies or new combinations of old therapies mm-hmm. uh, for that particular, that particular disease state. And certainly that's probably, I think, the best way to go about new therapies is really to go to cancer, you know, cancer.gov, look for the clinical trials, find mm-hmm. one from a reputable center in your area, and then that's really going to give you the best opportunity to get the most cutting-edge uh, therapies. Kim, uh, you know, yes, Dr. Dr. Lotwin said about uh, the number of patients that were enrolled in the study is one of the most important points for the lay public to be careful about when they read about the study. Because the headlines may say that uh, 50% of the patients were cured with this treatment. Uh, but then when you read the fine print, which may or may not even be there, in that magazine, mm-hmm. it uh, turns out that there were only 10 patients involved. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a disease called chronic hepatitis C virus infection, and this afflicts about 170 million people in the world and about 4 million Americans. And cirrhosis due to that, and then liver failure due to that, and liver cancer that can occur if you have cirrhosis, is the number one indication for liver transplantation in our country. The first drug that was used to treat this condition was is called interferon. And it was used by itself, so it was called interferon monotherapy. And there was a 50% cure rate. Well, it turned out there were 10 patients who were enrolled in the study, and five of them were cured. Subsequently, when larger studies were done, the cure rate for interferon monotherapy was nowhere near 50%. It was actually 6%. Mm. You know, now we have a treatment, it's triple therapy, and it has a success rate of 75 to 90%. But in the initial pilot study, sometimes you can get very skewed results. One of the greatest physicians known to mankind was Sir William Osler. And he once said, the best time to use a new drug is right away while it's still working. <laughs> That's a good analysis. That's a good analysis. Yeah. Um, gentlemen, if you will indulge me, I'd love to do a little bit of a lightning round on some on some cancer questions. Um, so, if we can try to quickly get through some of these uh, some of these kind of pressing cancer questions, Dr. Chopra, uh, let's start with the big one. What's your what, what do we know about whether X rays and or cell phones cause cancer? So, you know, um, my reading of all the literature and my discussion with uh, neurologists and oncologists um, is that there is no conclusive evidence that the use of cell phones is linked to brain cancer or a tumor that occurs in the ear canal called acoustic neuroma. My greatest fear of the use of cell phones is that people are distracted. Mm. They're distracted while walking across the street, while driving, while texting. There are now studies that show that if you're texting and driving, uh, that it is the equivalent of having had four alcoholic drinks. And uh, we had at Harvard Medical School a very dear physician, uh, an amazing lady, a primary care physician, who unfortunately uh, had a fatal accident because she was uh, texting her husband while coming home. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I don't worry about the risk of brain cancer. I think if you have access to Bluetooth technology, then use it. Um, You know, minimize the use of cell phones. There's nothing that urgent. We tend to spend too much time looking at our Blackberries and Mm. tweets and cell phone messages. Uh, Get home, drive carefully, and then settle down. And then after you've had dinner and you're watching the news, you can take care of your messages. 
Good advice. But Good to be advice. clear, but to just because there was two questions in there, Kim. There was cell phones and X-rays, and and right. X-rays and cell phones are totally different. Yeah, X-rays very good. Are clearly, I mean, while they can be used to treat cancer, there is no question that X-rays are potentially carcinogenic and means they can generate cancers. There is estimates that two percent of all the cancers that will occur in the next ten years will be as a result of medical X-rays. Mm. So all the CAT scans that people particularly are getting, CAT scans, yeah, right. CAT scans, nuclear cardiology tests are also very high in radiation. So you always want to ask a question, do I need that x-ray? There was just a very recent study on, on dental x-rays and children and potentially having a higher, higher incidence of cancer. So again, mm. anytime you're going to get an x-ray, the question should always be, do I need it? And what are you going to do with the information? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Alan, I'm so glad <clears throat> you mentioned that. Um, there are colleagues of mine at uh, Harvard Medical School, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, at the Beth Israel Children's, and col- colleagues of ours at Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, that are actually addressing this very issue together with the World Health Organization. There are now new CT machines that will deliver a lower dose of radiation and give enough clarity of the images that the radiologist can still make the right diagnosis and rule out disorders. Very recently, a study was published looking at young people with suspected acute appendicitis, and they used low radiation CT and compared it to regular dose CT, and the low radiation dose CAT scan was as good. So the more the public uh, is informed about this issue, the more they should feel entitled to question their primary mm-hmm. care physician or mm-hmm. to you know, question their specialist, do I really need a CAT scan? Am I going to get the CAT scan that's going to focus on the area of concern? Are they going to shield me properly? Are they going to use uh, the new technology that's now being developed and is already available in many, many centers? So good good advice, good information. Um, Dr. Lotvin, in the book you talk about the myth that prostate cancer can be prevented by eating pizza. Yes, pizza. I know a lot of our folks have uh, perked up their ears to that one. Tell us about that. All right, so in the spirit of the lightning round, myth. Myth. You know, people, oh. <laughs> people have looked at it. The thought was there's something in, 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 uh, in, in tomato sauce called lycopene, and there was a lot of interest you know, over many years in lycopene being uh, helpful in prostate cancer. And, you know, the answer goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and you can look at studies over the course of time. And in essence, what you can say most conclusively is that if there is any effect, it is an extremely modest one. Got it. So you like having tomato sauce, eat tomato sauce because you like it. Not because it's going to stop your prostate cancer. Or, or eat your pizza with coffee, which we know protects against metastatic <laughs> prostate cancer. Two cups of regular coffee, 50% reduction. Are There's also have... some literature suggesting that vitamin D may protect against prostate cancer. Yeah, what do we know about vitamin D, Dr. Chopra, while we're on the subject? So, you know, vitamin D is actually, uh, the term is a misnomer. It's a hormone, but we are stuck with the term, so we refer to it as vitamin D. Mm. The other term for vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin, because when you and I go out in the sun, our skin makes vitamin D, and then it's converted into the active form by the liver and the kidney, and that's called vitamin D3. And what we're discovering now is that there are lots and lots and lots of people all over the world, including young people playing soccer in Florida, where there's lots of sunshine, who are turning out to be vitamin D deficient. And the reason for that is that they're putting sunscreens, sunblocks, to prevent skin cancer, mm. which is a laudable goal. But the, the moral of the story is more and more pediatricians and family doctors and internists are checking a vitamin D3 level uh, once a year when you go for your annual checkup. And lo and behold, a lot of people are vitamin D deficient, and then they need to be replenished and put on a low dose of maintenance dose of vitamin D. There is uh, a lot of suggestive evidence that people with high levels of vitamin D seem to be protected against breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I have a physician colleague who claims that vitamin D, uh, low vitamin D, 
is linked very strongly to breast cancer, that breast cancer is a vitamin D deficiency state. No, no conclusive proof about that, but um, I think it's a good idea to get your vitamin D level checked, um, and there's a lot of ample evidence suggesting that it may be linked to cancer, vitamin D deficiency, to an altered immune status, to uh, definitely we know for osteoporosis or thinning of the bones. There are now studies suggesting mm-hmm. that may lead to muscle weakness. There is going to be a definitive study. Initially, what Alan mentioned, randomized, uh, controlled, double-blind study. And this is going to be spearheaded by a colleague of mine, Dr. Joanne Manson at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. It's going to be a $20 million study sponsored Mm. by the NIH. They're going to enroll 21,000 patients, and there are going to be three arms. Dr. Shipper, I'm going to jump in. We're going to take a very quick break right here, and we're going to come back, and I want to go back to that study. We'll be right back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Azi and Morphotech. We're speaking with co-authors Dr. Sanjeev Chopra and Dr. Alan Lappin about their new book, Live Better, Live Longer. Uh, Dr. Chopra, before the break, um, we were mentioning a significant study that our listeners should be aware of. Can you tell us about that study? Right. So Dr. Joanne Manson, a colleague of mine at Harvard Medical School, and she works at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, is going to be spearheading a multi-center study. This is going to cost uh, $20 million dollars. 21,000 patients from around the country, individuals will be enrolled into the study. There'll be three arms. One-third of the patients will get placebo. One-third will get fish oil. And one-third will get vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And then they'll follow them for five to seven years and see what the results are. 
That'll be the definitive study. Now, one of the things that's done in studies like this is that they have external monitors. So these are people who are not based at the Brigham or at Harvard Medical School, and they'll actually be looking at the results even at year one or two or three. And if they notice that there are dramatic differences in morbidity or mortality, uh, illness or death in the group getting vitamin D, let's say it's much lower compared to the group getting placebo or fish oil, then they will stop the study because it would be ethically not appropriate to continue the study. You've Mm -hmm. gotten the answer even midstream, and that is sometimes done with studies either Mm -hmm. way. If it's showing so much benefit Mm -hmm. or it's actually showing harm that you hadn't expected, then the external monitors say it's time to quit doing the study. And so the three arms in this study said are vitamin D, fish oil, and... Placebo. So a dummy pill that will look similar to the fish oil or the vitamin D. All three will look identical. Got it. Got it, got it. Dr. Lawson, uh, tell us about aspirin. It's inexpensive. It's easy to find. Is there any merit to the claims about um, aspirin and, and, and cancer prevention? What do we know about that? Yeah, so um, aspirin absolutely looks like it reduces the risk of colon cancer, and this was initially found in people with a, with a condition called familial polyposis, which has a very high proportion of polyps in the colon that turn into colon cancer. And treating them with low dose with low dose aspirin reduces the risk of, of colon cancer dramatically, and that's since been extended into the, sort of the general population. So certainly for colon cancer, there's uh, very good evidence. There's suggestive evidence for a number of other cancers, but there's absolutely merit for the claim of aspirin reducing the risk of colon cancer. Dr. Shepard, while we're continuing on the cancer uh, topic, I know one of the people, one of the things that our listeners get most frustrated about is is the uh, uh, recommendations around cancer screening. Um, what screening methods are effective? How often should you do them? Um, can you give us a couple of quick updates on the, on, on the latest and greatest in, in cancer screening? Yeah, so, you know, there are four cancers that uh, we should screen for, and uh, cancers that we should screen for are cancers that are common, that if you pick up the diagnosis at an earlier stage, it will change life expectancy, uh, and that the modality that you're going to use to detect the cancer or the precancerous condition is something that's relatively inexpensive and safe. So the four cancers that fall into that category are skin cancer. All you need is a very thorough examination when you go for an annual checkup. So the primary care physician or the family physician should disrobe the patient and examine the skin carefully. And if there are moles, look at them, see if there's a change in the character. Uh, All of those simple things can prevent skin cancer. So that's skin cancer screening. Then there's colorectal cancer, and the modality of choice for that uh, at a certain age, usually around 50 years of age, is to undergo a colonoscopy. And this is done as an outpatient procedure, The toughest part of the procedure is the prep, where for a day or day and a half, you have to be on a special diet and you have to cleanse the bowel and uh, so that the gastroenterologist, usually it's a gastroenterologist doing the procedure, will find the colon, which is four feet long, clean as a whistle, and be able to get a very good look. And if they detect polyps, These are small growths. They're usually like uh, lollipops or mushrooms. They're on a stalk, and they can resect them using the colonoscope in a few seconds or a few minutes. And uh, if the polyp contains a focus of cancer, but that cancer cells have not invaded the stalk, then that patient has been cured of colon cancer by an outpatient procedure. And if they don't find polyps, we used to say, you know, you need to come back for a repeat colonoscopy in three years. Mm-hmm. And now the recent evidence and the endorsement by the different societies is that, no, you don't need to come back in three years. You can wait, you know, 10 years to come back mm-hmm. and have your colonoscopy provided in the initial colonoscopy, they really got to the end of the colon where the appendix is, where the small intestine meets the large intestine, and the PrEP was very good, good quality PrEP. Mm -hmm. So skin cancer, colorectal cancer, 
cervical cancer with pap smears and breast cancer with mammography. And that's where there is this very uh, lot of controversy, whether it should be done at age 40 or it should be done at age 50. I think several factors have to be weighed in, including family history, the density of the breast, how good is the mammography, should you do an occasional MRI. And, you know, fortunately, at every hospital uh, throughout our country, we have experts uh, in in the field and uh, who are who will give the right advice about uh, whether to do a mammogram or not and what are the special situations where one should do an MRI. Now, what about, Dr. Sherper, let me ask you quickly, um, what about prostate cancer? Because we know that there is a, a test, the PSA yeah, test, and, and, and that used to be a good, or we thought that was a, a good indication of whether you had prostate cancer. Is that no right. longer the measure? So, you know, uh, PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen, and unfortunately, there are lots of false positives. In other words, it can be high, but the patient doesn't have cancer. Or uh, there are also false negatives, which means it can be low, and the patient does have cancer. So now people are saying, let's look at the slope of the PSA rise. If it was 2 and it went to 4 within 6 months or a year, that's significant. There's a huge controversy about whether PSA is a test that should be done or should not be done. And the, the most oncologists and specialists in prostate cancer will say, you need to sit down with every patient before you order a PSA in a man and say, here are the pitfalls of doing the test. Here are the positives and the negatives. And then make an informed decision the two of you, the doctor and the patient, as to whether you want that test done. Most primary care physicians are too busy to have that discussion, so they simply order the PSA. Uh, That's my experience. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. most people with prostate cancer will die with prostate cancer, not of prostate cancer. In other words, it's very common to find it in people at a certain age, but it's very slow-growing in the majority of the people. If we had a test that made that distinction, this person with prostate cancer, even though it's localized, it will likely spread in the future, and therefore we should treat it. Compared to this patient with prostate Mm -hmm. cancer, even though it's a little bigger than the previous patient, its mm-hmm. biology is going to be totally different. It's never going to spread. It's never going to hurt the person. Leave it alone. So we don't have that test at the mm-hmm. moment. Got it. Got it. Got it. Dr. Lappin, before we go to the break, I know you guys have tackled a couple controversial topics um, in the book. Um, just quickly, mar- uh, marijuana comes up a lot in cancer circles as a remedy for chemotherapy-related nausea. Some states have made it legal for medicinal purposes. What do we know about the, the health benefits of, of, uh, of marijuana? So I think the, the the probably least controversial and easiest thing to say, which is also has the benefit of being true, is that because it's a class one scheduled uh, agent, which means that the FDA views uh, marijuana as having no medicinal benefits, it's up there with LSD and heroin, that there really is no uh, regulatory pathway towards even studying the drug. And then mm-hmm. one argue why that is, and we don't need to get into the politics of it. But so the reality is, because you can't do that, there have been really no good studies. At the end of it, everything is anecdotal, small reports, some from overseas, not that overseas reports are bad, but there have been no definitive trials um, of of marijuana. People have looked at um, the active ingredients in marijuana, and they've been found to be less than you know, people claim less effective than than um, the raw, the raw form, but the the only thing you can really say is that we don't have the data, and no one really knows. So everything becomes anecdotal, and then unfortunately wrapped up in all of the politics. Politics of, of it. The drug Got stuff. it. Got it. Dr. Lappin, let's uh, just quickly step outside of cancer for a minute. What's the conclusion on childhood vaccines? I know it's, it was, it's been a hot-button issue um, uh, for, for, uh, for years, but w- what are the facts there? 
Right. So this is my this is one of my favorite topics, and 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 the reason is this is a great example of not seeing the forest for the trees. Sanjeev gave an example earlier of we worry about brain cancer from cell phones, which is a, a one in if it, if it happens at all, which I doubt. It's a one in a gazillion event, but we don't care at all about texting while driving, which kills probably hundreds of people a year, if not more. This is the same idea with vaccines. The the literature is unbelievably clear. There is no link between vaccination and autism. The one study that was published was discredited, not only discredited, withdrawn and proven to be fraudulent. So all of this brouhaha over the past, you know, 20 years was based on one person's fraudulent read, fraudulent study. And so the problem here is with, with childhood vaccinations is... It's something called herd immunity, which means you have to have a certain number of people in, in, the, in the population immune to prevent these diseases from springing up again. So we've seen the highest number of measles that we've ever seen in this country last year, or not ever seen, seen in the recent past last year. <laughs> we've seen diseases like polio, which have almost been completely eradicated. We've almost, polio almost went the way of smallpox. And then there was a, a rumor in, in various third world countries that this was a plot by the CIA to sterilize people. And now we're seeing re, re, resurgence of polio. So we can really get rid of these diseases. The other part that's really important is people think of, you know, measles and whooping cough and these, these, these child, diseases of childhood as, yeah, benign diseases. And they're not. They have real and significant mortality and morbidity. And if you look at the, probably the, one of the largest causes of the reduction in, in childhood mortality, other than obviously good nutrition, sanitation, has been vaccination. And from a bang for your buck perspective, you can't get a better return on your investment than vaccine. Great. Great. Everyone Great. should vaccinate their children. Great feedback, great information. Uh, this is Frank. I, I want to chime cancer. in for we're a second. Gonna, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Chipper. We're just yeah. going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back, sure. and we can pick this up. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices... I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, 
Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Amgen and Millennium. Uh, today we are talking about the new book, Live Better, Live Longer, by Dr. Chopra and Dr. Lotvin. We were talking before the break uh, about um, uh, about uh, childhood vaccinations. Dr. Chopra, you wanted to chime in on that. Yeah, I wanted to chime in and say that the uh, fear um, that vaccines are linked to autism, to multiple sclerosis, to sudden infant death syndrome are totally unfounded, mm. and that what we need is a vaccine against these unfounded fears. <laughs> there, there are two anti-cancer. This show is predominantly about cancer. There are two anti-cancer vaccines now. The first one is the hepatitis B vaccine. Hepatitis B afflicts about 400 million people in the world. And about 30 years ago, they started to do childhood vaccination against hepatitis B in Taiwan. 20% of the population in Taiwan were afflicted and had this condition called chronic hepatitis B infection. And with two decades of universal vaccination in childhood, the prevalence dropped from 20% to 1.5%. And childhood liver cancer mortality or death dropped by 75%. Mm. So truly the first anti-cancer vaccine. The second Mm. anti-cancer vaccine is the HPV, the human papilloma virus, Mm -hmm. which now uh, the recommendation is that uh, young people in our country should get that vaccine, it will uh, prevent uh, cervical cancer. So two anti-cancer vaccines. Great, and great information and, and, and great updates and, and terrific, uh, terrific advances. Dr. Lavin, a quick, uh, uh, one more quick missed question before we get here towards the end of the show. A few years ago, um, I started hearing people talk about, about local honey helping allergy sufferers, you know, at, the, at a local farmer's market. And, and you know, certainly now with spring and, uh, in, in full bloom, people are looking for uh, some allergy uh, remedies. Should we buy local honey or stick to the allergy pills? Well, you should buy local honey because it tastes good. <laughs> but if you want to get, if you want to stop sniffling, I would suggest uh, I would suggest allergy pills. It, it doesn't really work. I mean, it's a nice concept. You know, the whole it's local. It's a, it doesn't work. That doesn't work. Myth. Doesn't work. Myth. <laughs> Dr. Chopra, in your book, you and Dr. Lappin wrote about living an aced life, A-C-E-D, aced life. Can you uh, explain that to us as we get towards the end of the show? Sure. So, you know, let's say uh, one of our friends lives to the ripe old age of 108 years, and that person was a great person. That person was a mensch, and maybe at the eulogy, somebody would say he or she aced life. So what's aced life? A is aspirin, as well as alcohol. We didn't get to talk about alcohol, but alcohol, if there is no family history of alcoholism or liver disease or alcohol-related medical problems, one drink a day for women and two drinks a day for men is healthy. So A is aspirin and alcohol. Any, and, any, any kind of alcohol? And it turns out it's any kind of alcohol. Red wine is a bit of a myth. Uh, any kind of alcohol has the same increase in what we call high-density lipoprotein, the good cholesterol, which mm-hmm. is cardioprotective. So A is aspirin and alcohol. C is coffee. E is exercise, which is the best drug. D is D3, vitamin D3. L is laughter. I is to go inward. In other words, to reflect, to meditate. I came across the saying many years ago. It said everyone should meditate once a day, and if you don't have time to do that, you should meditate twice a day. <laughs> so L is for laughter. I is to go inward. F is fish or fish oil. E is empathy. Practice kindness. You know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama once said, be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. So ace life, and go, don't go nuts remembering this. Nuts are very healthy. Peanuts, pine nuts, cashew nuts, almonds, walnuts are all healthy. And in one study, which we talk about in the book, eating a small amount of uh, nuts every day increased longevity in human beings by two years. 
Uh, not coconuts and not macadamia nuts because they're very rich in saturated fat. Mm-hmm. So let's go through this again. A, slice A, alcohol and aspirin. Right. C, coffee. B, coffee. E, exercise. D, D3. L, laughter. I, to go inward. F, fish or fish oil. E, empathy. And then don't go nuts remembering this demonic. But remember it. <laughs> and and what's going to happen if we follow this lifestyle, Dr. Chopra? What can I, we think, expect? I, I think you'll be healthy and happy. No, you live longer and you live better. Ah, I like it, Alan. <laughs> Live long, live live longer, live better, uh, uh, Doctor Lotvin. Just quickly, what any any recent studies with regard to exercise, with regard to uh, uh, other practices, yoga, tai chi, things along those lines. So there's been a lot of really interesting stuff on exercise, and this is actually a particular interest of mine, both for, with respect to the the benefits of strength training, which we always think about, you know, aerobic or cardiovascular, and it, and it seems that strength training is also very good for for building want a better term, aerobic capacity. We've also learned that interval training, kind of very rapid, you know, very short, very rapid bursts of exercise can have similar um, impacts on aerobic capacity as kind of the traditional 30 minutes on a treadmill. But I think there, and there's other, the one last piece was people looked at kind of the ability to, uh, to, to gain strength and gain benefit from light, lifting light weights versus lifting heavy weights. And the issue is you can lift light weights and get just as, just about almost all the benefit of lifting heavy weights as long as you lift just about to the point of, of muscle fatigue. So the important part of all those things is that there's a tremendous amount of new information in the exercise physiology world that allows one to create a, an exercise program that works for you. The most important thing is, is do something. Now, I think we, you know, this is a case where enemy is the good of perfect, or the, where, where the, the, sorry, the enemy of good is perfect, mm-hmm. we, where we try to find the best possible thing and we do nothing. Mm-hmm. Better to stop reading how, how you should exercise and go out and do something. Just walking is, is a great step in the right direction. And Dr. Chopra, just quickly again, because I, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm neglecting this conversation. Tell us again about the benefits of alcohol. <laughs> so alcohol, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's vodka, a single malt, red wine, white wine, gin. Uh, they all increase uh, high-density lipoprotein or HDL. And, uh, but it has to be in moderation. So one drink in uh, women a day and two drinks in men as long as there's no contraindication. If women have more than one drink a day, there is one study, and so we should be cautious about it and not get alarmed about it. But if women have two drinks a day, there may be a slight increased chance of developing breast cancer. Uh, alcohol may protect against colorectal cancer as well, so it may protect against stroke as well. So lots of benefits, but mm-hmm. of course in moderation. The other part of the study, which uh, was very interesting to me when I first heard about it at a medical lecture given by a colleague at Harvard Medical School, was that periodicity of drinking trumps the amount of drinking. So let me explain that. It's better for a woman to have one drink every day, mm-hmm. which would add up to seven drinks during the week, mm-hmm. than to have three drinks on Friday evening and four drinks on Saturday and then skip the other five days. I see. So spreading it out one a day. Yeah. One a day. Yeah. yeah well, one of the interesting things I'll just add on, on, on yes. just on alcohol is that when you when – you, you know, Sanjeev, you have a great description of a number of the individual disease states. The most important thing for me is when you look at all-cause mortality, all reasons for dying, and compare teetotalers to, to moderate drinkers, mm-hmm. moderate drinkers live longer. Longer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So interesting. I love this, this aced, life, aced life formula. Gentlemen, I'm telling you. The show never goes so quickly. <laughs> then I have the two of you on. I have 20 more questions for you, so I'm hoping you're going to come back. Um, it's uh, it's really been a wonderful conversation. Check out this fantastic new book, Live Better, Live Longer, by Drs. Uh, Lotvin and Chopra. It's just a, a fantastic read. So much great information. Um, just a quick uh, mention about the cancer support community. We provide free support, education, uh, services to people with cancer, people with all cancers at all stages of illness and to their family members and loved ones. Um, 
We have uh, 57 wonderful affiliates around the country where we offer support groups, education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Uh, we serve people uh, of all ages. And again, last year we offered more than $40 million in free services to patients and families around the country. Um, uh, we also have uh, a wonderful telephonic support, online support. Visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find out about our free services, to find an affiliate near you, to participate in our online uh, community. I also want to mention we have a new uh, phone counseling service, particularly if you're facing a treatment decision um, uh, or any kind of decision related to your cancer. You can call us at 888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>